Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Jeremy. <clears throat> let's just um, let's just stay in that heart mindset of worship, <clears throat> because we are here to adore Him. We're not here just to go through any of the motions. See, that's, that's easy, right? But we really are here to adore Him. What does that look like? Well, it, it is worship. It's it's hearing His Word, but it's really allowing the Holy Spirit to begin even doing a work, a continual work in us right now. <clears throat> what has God been doing, I wonder? As a matter of fact, now I just want to ask you this question. What has God been doing in your life right now as you've been preparing for Christmas, as you've been preparing for a new year? Maybe you're not even started thinking about the new year yet. But as uh, preparing for next week, whatever it may be, whatever keeps your attention, have you ever stopped to think for a moment, how is God using this to point me to Jesus. Because we, we understand and we know the book of Acts tells us that we will receive the Holy Spirit after this, the Holy Spirit will come upon us and we will be witnesses. We already know we're to be witnesses. Jesus says we are light, we are salt. So impact is supposed to be happening. So I, I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder what God is using in my life. I wonder what God is using in your life to point people to Jesus. Last week, we looked at the book of Isaac. I'm sorry, we looked at the character Isaac in the book of Genesis and how he was a type and shadow, if you will, a type of Christ in the Old Testament because you can look throughout the Old Testament and there are so many examples of what Christ will do and be for us as our Redeemer. And today, I want us to look just for a few moments and it'll be brief because you cannot look at the book of Exodus and somehow think you're going to cover it in 30 minutes. <clears throat> but if you think about the book of Exodus as a whole, it, it's a book of deliverance. The entire book covers Moses, the deliverer, delivering the people of Israel from Egypt, guiding them and directing them by faith with God's miraculous power through the wilderness, even in their Lack of faith to cross over in the promised land. Moses continues to lead and for 40 years leads them until he dies and Joshua finally takes them over. So I, I'm not going to attempt to cover all that this morning, obviously. But I, I want to just look at for a few minutes how Moses points to Jesus. But then how even in our lives we need to point to Jesus. If we start just right there with Exodus chapter 1, and there's so many easy, easy applications here, but just if you think about Exodus chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 2 in just a moment, but chapter 1 starts off with helping us understand the genealogies and how we've gotten from Abraham to Joseph and how we ended up in Egypt. Because now the children of Israel, or the Hebrews, have now been in Egypt for almost 360 years, close to 400 years, by the time 
Moses um, is called of God and goes back to Pharaoh, it's almost 450 years. And during that 350 years before Moses is born, the children of Israel grow from 70 to almost 2 million. Uh, you know, several hundred years have passed. There's expected to be growth. But what the, the new leadership that's coming in, the Bible says that the, the new king did not know Joseph. But if you break that down correctly, it really means the new king chose not to know Joseph. Now, without trying to make a comparison of any nation, it's easy to understand that after a few hundred years, present leadership really doesn't care about past leadership's decisions. They're making whatever decisions they can make right now, not for the benefit of what was, but what will be for them. Okay? So there was tremendous opposition that we see started here because this Pharaoh at that time decided to control them because he knew they were getting so numerous that it would outnumber their people. So he began to double down on the labor. He began to make labor incredibly difficult for them, thinking in his mind, if I can wear them out, they'll stop having children. Didn't work. They continued to multiply. If you read on in chapter 1, uh, he, he calls in the midwives, Hebrew women who worked with many others to help birth the children with the Hebrew mothers. He calls them in and says, listen, when a child is born, if it's a male, kill it. Um, and then say it was an accident. Say it, it just a terrible birth and call it an accident. They couldn't do it. <clears throat> they would not do it. They even come back to Pharaoh later on and they say, we, we cannot do this before God. We, we just can't do it. So he realizes he's not winning this battle. So he goes before, the Bible says, his own people, his people. And he says, I want you to throw every male child into the Nile. Now, many uh, scholars will suggest that he was offering them opportunities to worship by doing this, to worship the God of the Nile. The Egyptians worshiped many deities, and I'm not going to get to the ten plagues, but the worship of the Nile was very common. So some uh, theologians will, will suggest that he was challenging the culture to worship by destroying them. Now, before you think that can't happen, just look at history. Before you think that can't happen, think about the Holocaust. Before you think that can't happen, think about how easy it is to turn a culture against individuals in such a way that killing them is not even an issue, not even a thought. Okay? So now it's in this setting, it's in this turbulent opposition. So just think about it for a moment. There's, there's millions of people, families, moms, dads, brothers, and sisters. They get up, they go to work every day, and it's burdensome. It's laborious. It's pressure. There doesn't seem to be a future anymore. All hope seems to be gone. And for some reason, we're losing a lot of male children. Can't seem to have a good birth. Nothing seems to be working. And, and then you know you're under oppression when the people have the audacity and the ability to come in, take your child, and kill it. Now, this doesn't even seem like a rational 
thought, especially on a Sunday morning, right? But it's the word, it's what was happening in that setting. And please, I'm, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm going to get off track here, but the reality is this is not a poetic in, injection in the word of God. This is historical narrative. This happened. So I say that because when we begin reading chapter 2, I need you to understand, we're looking at how Moses points to Jesus, but I also want you to be listening with an ear of how God wants to use you. Because we know that when Christ saves us, he asks us to be like him. New Testament uh, encourages and, and commands and instills in us this desire to become fully mature in Christ. We don't become Christ, we become Christ-like. So what does it look like for us to point people to Jesus like this? Let's just start reading at verse 1 in chapter 2. Understanding everything, we just set this up with. Everybody with me right there? Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, some translations say a beautiful child, she hid him three months, and when she could hide him no longer, she took him for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitmutton and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is the one, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, there's a lot of empower, uh, incredible, powerful things that are happening in that passage. I'm going to try to touch on a lot of them, but I, I want you to see Christ in here for just a minute. Moses is born during a time of very difficult circumstances. Jesus is born during a time of very difficult circumstances. And while many of the details are different, they didn't call him Pharaoh, but his name was Herod. And Herod was a cruel ruler. And upon finding out from the wise men that they were looking for a king, he immediately decided he wanted to find that king too, but for all the different reasons, not to worship him, but to destroy him. And when he found out that he had been deceived by the wise men, he was on a two-year mission to kill every child two and under. Destroy them. And they did that. They killed lives like, like just common, they mean nothing children. Now, I, let me just say this, because I know this message was not planned around the importance of what's taking place in our courts this weekend. But the abortion issue is up again. 
I just did some quick research, and you don't have to be real intelligent for me to do that. But I did some quick research on my favorite research engine, Google. Approximately um, 52 million babies have been aborted since 1970 of Roe versus Wade to 2020. 52 million babies. So when we talk about this morning, how could Herod do that? We've done it for the last 50 years. How could Pharaoh have done something like that? We've allowed it to be happening for the last 50 years. Pastor, um, what are you trying to say? I'm saying we've done it for the last 50 years. And we just let it continue. Well, how do we stop it? Well, I, I, I'm not here to just give you those kind of directives right now as much as you see how God moves in mysterious ways. And the enemy's always trying to stop it. I mean, just think for a minute. And this is not about guilt, folks. Listen. But think about how many doctors, lawyers, teachers, preachers, ministers, missionaries, how many have been killed before they ever breathe their first breath on their own? Just think about that for a moment. Because... For Moses to ever be born, there was, a, there was a hit put on every male child to make sure Israel could be controlled, to make sure the Hebrews could not continue. When, when Herod heard about Jesus, he put a hit on every child, two and under, to make sure the king could never arrive. But can I tell you that no matter what the world tries to do, the king will always arrive. No matter what the world has done, now we have the privilege of looking back, we're not we're hoping for his second return, but we already know he came the first time. We, we already know that he's already arrived, and we're going to celebrate that this Christmas. But listen, uh, let's don't get too caught up on the manger because there's been a cross. And as, as much as it may stir our hearts to think, all oh, those poor children, we need to understand it's still happening today. The, the enemy is still trying to keep the... the the movement of God and the, the movement of his people from moving forward any way he can. He's trying to stop you any way he can. So we see that Moses points to Jesus because these small similarities, but it's also similar because Moses very literally lived in the house that tried to destroy him. When Moses was drawn out of the water, it was Pharaoh's daughter who not only paid his own mom to nurse him, but after he was grown, she adopted him and raised him in the place that was trying to kill him. When Jesus was born, after the wise men had visited, Mo Joseph had a dream and was told to go to Egypt and stay there till I tell you to leave. It's funny how things work in full circle. We also see some other similarities. And again, these are just foreshadowings. I'm not, don't, please don't leave here today and I think Moses was Jesus. No. These are just powerful examples to point to who we worship this morning. Jesus finds safety in Pharaoh's place. Matthew paints a picture, and, and I know many of you probably know this, but Matthew was written specifically to the Jewish reader. Each gospel had a specific target. And the reason we know this is when you start reading the book of Matthew, he starts off with genealogies from Abraham 
to David, all the way to Jesus Christ, 70, 70, and 70. Right? Now, why is that important? Because if you're Greek, you don't care about genealogies. If, if you're a common, you don't care about But if you're a Greek, I'm sorry, if you're Jewish, and you see the genealogies that lead from Abraham to Jesus, okay, now you've got my attention. Because genealogies mean something. So Matthew paints a picture of Jesus as one similar but greater than Moses. He not only shares the genealogies and shares a similar ministry of teaching and leading, but in every way, Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses ascended to Mount Sinai to receive the law. Jesus ascended to a mountain to teach the law. Moses gave the Ten Commandments. Jesus gave two. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the greatest is to love your neighbor as yourself. He also goes on to say, Jesus fulfills every law. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He takes the curse of disobedience upon himself so that we might be saved. Christ redeems us, Galatians tells us, from the curse and of the law by becoming a curse for us. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's funny, Moses gets his name from, uh, from Pharaoh's daughter. Moses meaning drawn out. John proclaims Jesus as the water. And let me just say this too. I find it interesting that, that they were trying to kill Moses by putting him in the water. And if you fast forward, they try to stop Moses and the children of Israel by the Red Sea. And if you fast forward another 40 years, they have to cross over the Jordan. But then when you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is saying, I am the water that you will never thirst again. In other words, this thing that you're, that's trying to kill you, this thing that's trying to hold you back, Jesus is saying, I'll, I'll use it in such a way that it sets you free. Even in baptism, aren't you glad that we don't hold you under? Aren't you glad that baptism is not just submersion and that it stops there? You know? Now, there are some that it might not be a bad idea, Right? But, but here's my point. Baptism is not meant to be your death. It's celebrating who and what Jesus Christ has done for us and that we are being baptized in him, with him, and risen anew. It's, it's, a, it's amazing to me how all this is used through water. Now, why is this important? And I hope I'm making sense this morning. Because if Moses was portrayed, and there's so much more, when you study the book of Exodus, we literally can walk through chapter after chapter and see a powerful picture of Jesus throughout the entire book. But I bring this up today to simply say, we can look back at what Christ has done. Moses and the Hebrews, children of Israel, were having to look forward to the promises of God. We look back at its completion through Jesus Christ. We're experiencing the promises of God, and we can look forward to his second return. So what does that, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? I, I want to talk about that just for a few moments. How does that apply to me? How does that apply to you personally? A couple of very brief points. Ready? 
Um, God sees something in you that you may not, but he does. God sees something in you. I'll even go so far to say that others see something in you, even if you don't. That's why pointing people to Jesus needs to be incredibly burned into our senses because, quite frankly, you're always pointing people to something. You know, the, the, the saying out there with leadership sometimes is leadership is influence. And I've heard it said many times, if you're not, if you think you're leading, but no one's behind you, you're just taking a walk. Well, I, I understand what they're trying to say, but here's the reality. You are influencing people. You are influencing people. The person you work with, your spouse, the, the person you hang out with, the person you eat with, the person you joke around with, you're always influencing someone. My question for all of us is, are we pointing people to Jesus with our lives? Are we pointing people to hope with our lives? Are we pointing people to what can be with our lives? And I'm not talking about just, you know, everything is always, you know, he's always so positive. He never has any problems. Hang out with me a few days. There's problems. In this world, you will have, it's going to get messed up occasionally, right? But here's, here's the challenge for us. Who are we? Do our trials and challenges define us? Or does who we belong to define us? And let's just look at this for a moment. When, when he was born, his mother looked at him, and the Bible says saw a fine child, a beautiful child. Here's what that means. She looked at him, and she knew something was different. She knew something was different. She could look at him, and he might have looked like any other baby out of the thousands that were born. And because they saw something different, they were, they were somehow not going to let him be one of the ones that are just thrown into the Nile, sacrificed by somebody else's worship, or, or worse yet, them demanded to do it on their own, and then watch their child die. Not going to happen. What do they do? They hit him because they saw something special. Can I tell you that, that God sees something special in you? Now, please, I, I know that if we really took some time this morning to maybe ask each other questions and talk this out a few minutes to find out what you're going through, it may be easy to say, well, you don't understand. I, I've been walking through this for, for the last six years or for the last two years. I, I, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but I still I feel stuck in COVID. I still, is it 2020? You know, I talk to people a lot. They don't want to talk about COVID, but they think it's still 2020. They're living like they're stuck. They're living in fear. They're living in bondage. And, and you see people, they don't, they don't know how to describe what they're going to. But God sees something special in you even when you don't. God sees the potential of what can be even when you don't. If, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, you know what, there's something different about you. And you start making sure everything's buttoned, and you know there, I, there's just you act differently, you you talk differently, you walk differently. There's something differently, and in the back of your mind, it's like, oh man, did I mess up again? So I, what what did I mess up this time? Please don't blame it on me, Lord. Please get me out of here. Deliver me, Lord. 
And some of you would be thinking, thank, thank God I wasn't born in that era where they're trying to kill us. Thank God I wasn't born then. How difficult life would have been. Listen, this is not poor us. We're a blessed country. But there's not a whole lot to brag about. We just got a lot of stuff and no purpose. We got a lot of things and no presence. Uh, Diane and I were listening to a, a program the other day and heard a, a great little saying, and I've tried to memorize it, and I'm going to try right now to say it. But there's three stages in a person's life when it comes to Christmas. The Christmas list is when you're a kid. You buy the presents when you're an adult, and you forget about the list when you're the grandparent. Now, what do I mean by that? You can go to any child who's able to communicate and say, what do you want for Christmas? And they'll say, all right, hang on one second. I got it right here. And because they got a list. Ask any child. Ask any grandchild, what do you want for Christmas? And they got a list. Ask any parent. And they just got this look of, I need money. Because all their kids have a list, right? All their kids have a list, and the parents are just, the parents are even trying to decide, what do I, uh, what do I want for Christmas? I, I can't afford anything for Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. And so they, but they know they're going to pay for it, but there's something changes, and I want to speak for all the grandparents, so don't talk to me after church here. But there's something that, that happens when you become an older adult, and somebody says, what do you want for Christmas? You know what? I've already caught myself saying, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Nothing. I mean, I've got everything I need. If you bought me something, I'd have to find a place for it. I don't need nothing. Here's what I want. I want us. Now, when I was a kid and I heard my parents say this, I, was, I got sick. You know, I, I just, it made me mad. Because they would say things, son, I just want you to be at home. I'm not going to get anything for Christmas this year. <laughs> we just want to be together, son. I just want you to, if I can just have all the kids at home. Oh, great. We're getting a fake watch. <laughs> right? So here's, but here, I know what they're saying. You know what they're saying? I, I don't want a present. I want your presence. I, I don't want another toy. I want you to be present in the room with me. I want us to be able to talk. I want to hug you. I want to kiss you on the forehead. I want you to know that I love you. I, I, want, to, I want to talk about stories. Why? Because the older you get, the, realize, the more you realize the young ones are going to be buying presents. And the ones buying presents are going to be where you are, and you're going to be with Jesus. So you're trying to take advantage of every moment with presents. You see, I, I think, too, at Christmas... What we need to remind ourselves of is not, well, I wish I was born in a better place. I wish I was born in a better time. I wish I had more stuff because we already have a lot of stuff that we don't know how to pay for. Man, I, was, I just needed one amen right there. That would have helped. We've got all this stuff that I don't know how to pay for, and then people still don't show up at the house. I wonder what it would be like if we just said, Jesus, I don't care about my circumstances. I want your presence. 
I, I don't care about having a lot of stuff. I want your presence. And I'm not, I'm not here hitting on presence. I, you know, whenever I step off the stage, it's like, oh, there must be something very important about this. Yes, there is, but we're not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your money. But I promise you, everything you're buying for whoever it is, they're going to be sick of it by January the 15th. And that's, you know, and, and if you're if you really want to get ticked off, the kids especially will play with the boxes more than they do with the toys. So all I'm saying is don't caught, don't get caught up in the wrong stuff. Don't get caught up in the wrong presence. Get caught up in his presence. Don't get caught up in the wrong stuff. Making sense? So so what how's this tie in? Where's this going? Well, again. It's God sees something in you that we can't see in ourselves. And we think there's just failure, or we think we've just missed God again, or, or we think we've gotten so far down a path that we can't see our way out. And God is saying, no, you don't understand. I can bring a deliverer out of any circumstance. I can bring a leader out of any. You'd be shocked at what I can do with your life if you'll just let me have it. But God, there are so many things around in our culture that are just trying to destroy everything, destroy family, destroy our youth, destroy generations. God, what, what are we going to do? Give yourself to him. I, I love this part, and I'm not going to be much longer. I love this one little part of the verse. The mom made a basket. Put tar and pitch on it. She put him in it. And put him in the water. Now, again, some, some would say that this was a weak attempt at them trying to follow the law without breaking the law. Because literally they did put him in the Nile. Okay? I, I, I don't necessarily believe that because it was too strategic. But sometimes our strategy, we try to take the credit for, and it was God's sovereignty. Because it says that he, she put, her, put him in the bulrushes and had her daughter watching, but it was just about the time Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath. So there had to be a plan in there somewhere, and we'll just call it God's. But now what am I saying? The Nile that is supposed to be destructive, the Nile that any baby would drown, filled with crocodiles, Um, the, the life expectancy was, was very nil for babies in the Nile. But the word basket there is not basket, it's ark. And if you go back a few chapters into Genesis, you'll realize that there was an ark used before. That, that God told Noah to build because I'm going to put something in it that what it has to go through, if you're in the ark, you will survive. Well, we know that story. So they put little Moses in an ark for him to survive. Now, here's, here's all I want you to hear about this this morning, because, again, it all points to Jesus, but I, I want you just to see a simple illustration of how I believe God wants us to hear it this morning. And I'm not misusing the word of the text here, I promise you. Um, there's a saying, we quote it as a verse, but it's not a verse. We are in the world, 
but not of it. That's not a verse in the Bible. We just make it sound that way because we don't know the verses, so we just say that and make it sound like a verse. Now, it's very biblical. In John chapter 15, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's saying, I'm praying for you because I I put you in this world, and I've been teaching you my word, but this world's not going to accept you. You're here, but you're not going to be accepted. But then in John 17, he's praying and interceding for us to the Father, and he's saying, God, you have put them in the world like you have put me in the world. I have spoken the word to them. They're not going to be accepted. Don't let them get caught up in this world stuff. Now, here's what that is saying. We have been put here, but we're not of here. We have been put in this world through Jesus Christ, but we are not of this world. Meaning, and we we make that mean a lot of things for us. When it comes to evangelism, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Well, we know what we're trying to say. We're we're trying to say we can hang out at certain places, just don't do it. Or we we can go to certain parts of the community as long as we don't participate. Well, if you're not sharing Jesus, participation is going to be very tempting. But I'm not here to preach about that this morning. As much as it is, most of us, if we were Moses and we could pray, would be saying, right now, Jesus, in your name, deliver me from the Nile. Here's why it's important for you to understand God sees something in you more than you do because your circumstances are just a location. We need to spend less time trying to get out of locations than what we depend on for resources. Because being in the world is location. Being of the world is a source. Does that make sense? What am I depending on? Well, most of us, if I'm, not, if I'm not careful, I depend on my location, and I just consider my source, when I hear it, I'll eat the meat and spit out the bones. I always want my location to change, though, because I want my location to be comfortable. There was nothing comfortable about the Nile. There was nothing comfortable about the Red Sea. There was nothing comfortable about crossing Jordan. There was nothing comfortable about all those issues that God would say, if you'll just trust me, there'll be deliverance. Because you can look at his life, how it points to Jesus, and when Jesus comes on the scene for us, all he's asking us to do is, trust me. I know where you are. I know your circumstances. And and this isn't motivational for you, I know, but when we say sometimes, God, please change my circumstances, you know where he starts first? Right here. Lord, change my spouse. Starts right there. God, change my kids in Jesus' name. Starts right there. God, I need a new job. Nope, they need a a better employee. Starts right there. Oh, Lord, we need a better pastor. Starts right there. Um, Lord, I need better church members. Why? Because God's not interested about location. He wants to be your source. So we're in this world. So where are you? Are you in the Nile? Are you in a situation that's not good? Are you you facing odds that are immeasurable that you can't even imagine coming out on the better side of this? 
Are, are you in situations that you're just sort of hoping they just sort of disappear? When, when you're in the ark, when you're in Christ, when you're in him, there's something about Moses in this little ark on the Nile. You know what he was acting like? A baby. The Bible tells us in that verse that when Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter sent one of her handmaids over, she pulled the basket over. When they opened the basket, it was a crying baby. Why? Because what do babies do? They cry. I wonder what it would be like that no matter our circumstances, if we just did what we're supposed to do. Be his child. Trust in him. Um, God didn't have to supernaturally cause Moses to stand up as an infant. As a matter of fact, we're reading about this right now. It still was 40 years before Moses even made a transition to kill someone and move out into the wilderness. It took another 40 years for God to get his attention. You know, hopefully most of us are going to get this in a couple of days, not 80 years. I am encouraging you, I hope, because when we understand that our circumstances that we're in, people are watching. People are watching. I, I love this too, and I'm closing. I love this too because the Bible not only tells us that this uh, daughter of Pharaoh came, and she said, call, let, let's get a midwife, and the daughter runs over. Now, now intimate relationships are still put back together. Moses is put back to, to with his mom for a season until he had grown. Was there still pain? Yes, because she still had to let him go. It's not about give your life to Jesus and you'll never shed a tear. This is when you start seeing the fingerprints of God in your life, understand we're looking back at a vantage point that we can understand and say, wow, I want to be Moses. But I don't know if Moses would have said that at the present. Uh, when, he killed, when he killed the Egyptian, he lived on the run. I'm sure there were things in his life that if we could talk to him, and we will one day, what were you thinking? I wasn't. Which, by the way, what were you thinking? Never mind. Never mind. So I just, I'd like for us in closing just to consider how will my life with what I'm going through right now, I'm in this world, I'm in these circumstances, I'm in, I'm in this nation, I'm in this culture, I'm in this group of believers, or I'm, I'm in this group of politicians, or what you have. You know where all the conversations run. In this, but not of it. What does that look like? I'm in this, but I don't depend. That's not my source of strength. Jesus is my source of strength. Jesus is who I listen to. Because if you listen to all the things in your circumstances, your circumstances just get worse, right? Or you start believing your circumstances, and they'll never change. But I promise you, <clears throat> when you trust him, your circumstances will change. Because it's a development. It's God is constantly doing a work in you. God is constantly doing a work in you. And he may pull you out of the Nile, and he may even put you right into Pharaoh's palace. But don't get comfortable. Because you start to learn more about yourself than you ever thought you would know. When God's doing a work in each of us, I'm encouraging you somehow, but between now and Christmas, 
Yes, slow down. Yes, try not to buy too many gifts. Save some money. But point people to Jesus with your life. Let people see you going through maybe a very difficult time, but with your head up high, acting normal. Acting like a child of God. Acting like your source of strength is from him. Does that make sense? Let's all stand. I just want us to close in prayer. I just, I have sensed in my spirit, quite honestly, all week, um, and I really prayed, try to pray specifically for individuals in the church that I know are walking through very difficult circumstances. And I think for a lot of folks, um, and I I, I even hate continuing to bring up COVID, but here's the reality. People have been blindsided by something, and they don't even know what's hit them. And they're trying to find new normals depending on sources that are not reliable. Depending on strength that falls through your fingers like sand. Rather than continuing with a body of believers, and whether it's grace groups or just fellowship throughout the week, continually talking and conversing in terms of, yes, these are our circumstances. There really is a Nile. There really is an enemy. There really is difficulty. But my source is Jesus. We sang about it this morning. Bring your past. Bring your brokenness. His arms are open wide. It doesn't matter where you've been. I wonder what it would look like if we just decided, Father, I'm going to stop focusing so much on my circumstances that it controls my life. He goes, if you do, you'll be shocked at what destiny you begin to see that he sees. Because he sees more about you than you think. He sees more positive. He sees things happening that you can't even imagine happening. But you've got to trust him. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us, Lord. Let your word speak to our hearts. It's easy, Father, for us to see Moses and and point to you, and it's a beautiful story, and it's encouraging because we know you have come. We know you are our Savior, and then we have the now what? So, Lord, for, for us to realize that you desire us to point others to you, for us to live this out in such a way that people see Jesus means that there may be periods in our life that that we're in denial, but not of it. That we're in this world, but our source is you. Our locations may change, our difficulties may change, our hardships may change, but our source of power, our source of strength, the rock that we stand on is Jesus. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, even as we leave this place today, that it not be about a service that we just attended, but now, Lord, we're challenged to live this out, trusting you. Talk about it with our family. Talk about it with our friends. What does it mean for us not to lean over and constantly worry about the circumstances, but lean in and trust on him? Now, Father, we give you praise. 
this is your day. And we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace in our lives. Guide us, protect us. And Lord, we just pray that you receive the glory in this Christmas in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next week. Amen. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.